Good evening. I'm hoping everybody can hear me out there today. Um, welcome to our Monday, Thursday Facebook Live service. We did not think it would come to this, but here we are. We are gathered here. Um, our service begins around 7 o'clock, so I'm going to give people a few moments to um, join us. Um, for those of you who are watching this later, this is our Monday-Thursday service. Um, it's the Thursday of Holy Week where we remember the Passover and the commandment that Jesus gives his disciples after he has the final, his last supper with them. Um, we move into Good Friday tomorrow. We have our Good Friday evening service tomorrow at 7 p.m. For those of you who are joining us this evening, um, if you could remember to grab something for communion today, we're going to do communion um, a little bit different than normal, seeing that we are all staying home and staying safe. So if you have some grape juice or some wine at home, crackers and bread, um, feel free to grab those for us to partake in communion together following this, um, sorry, the end of this live stream. And also just to um, prepare for the same thing on Easter Sunday as well. So if you have some grape juice and wine at home, that's terrific. If not, use what you have. Use anything that you have. It, it's it's what we're looking at is the symbolism behind the Last Supper that we will be partaking together with, um, together in. So, um, let us begin this Thursday evening just saying um, a special thank you to Heidi and Joel and Bryce Wilker, to Emily Edwards, and to. Um, Danny Patrick and also to McKenna and Jody Church for helping with our Thursday evening meal. Um, we served 150 meals this evening. We had 46 deliveries and then we had the rest, just over um, 100 of them that we handed out um, here at the church all within that hour time when we're serving between 4 and 5. Um, one thing that we're going to change up a little bit is we're not going to be announcing what's going to be for each meal because sometimes towards the end of the meal um, we have to take a quick jog over to Lepinks to pick up some more food. So 150 um, meals served. I think that's an amazing feat that we're able to um, do today. Um, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we were advertising it also in the Ionia Sentinel and the Daily News. So we're going to continue to do that. Um, specifically now that our local governor here in Michigan has extended our stay, safe stay home um, executive order till the end of April at the earliest that it will be um, lifted. So I want to just say that we're going to be continuing to do our live streams um, throughout that time. But let's begin our Monday Thursday service today with a reading from the Gospel of John chapter 15. So we're going to read from the Gospel of John chapter 13, sorry, John chapter 13, and um, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 35, so trek with me for a few moments. So this is John chapter 13 from the English Standard Version, and it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, 
he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said to him, If I do not wash your feet, sorry, if I do not wash you, um, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not on my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but, it is, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, um, resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are also and you are right, for I am him. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you all you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should, you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one he sent. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He ate my bread, he ate my bread, was lifting his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, and when it does take place, you may believe it. I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying all these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of, who he, of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclined at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified through him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, 
and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I also say to you, Where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of the Lord. So we have this Holy Week journey that we are going on. And inside of this Holy Week journey, we start on Palm Sunday, where we have Jesus coming down from the Mount of Olives. And he is coming down on the donkey, the humble animal, and is proclaiming peace through his actions. And as he is looking over Jerusalem, he says, and he weeps over the city saying, if only you knew the things that were for peace. So as Jesus is entering into this time, as he is entering into what we consider the Passion Week of where he, he um, fulfills Old Testament prophecy, where he fulfills the, um, the meaning of what it looks like to be fully God in human flesh, we find that he is an advocate for peace. Not only do we find that Jesus is an advocate of peace, but he weeps over the fact that people don't understand what peace looks like. Then in turn, on Monday, and on our Wednesday evening Bible study, we talked about this. On the Monday, the narrative continues and says that he goes into the temple, and we have the cleanse, cleansing of the temple. Now, we kind of feel like, if we look at it at face value, that we kind of have polar opposites. That Jesus is proclaiming peace on Sunday, and then on Monday, he makes a cat of nine tails, and he drives people and other and animals out of the temple what we find at a closer examination of the text is that he is driving people out of the temple those who are standing and making a wall between humanity and God those who are profiting off the oppression of the poor those who did not understand that they were in the presence of the divine that they were in the presence of God and that God was not behind the curtain the curtain that is torn on Good Friday, that Jesus, the God is not there. That God is standing before them in the body of Christ, the God-man, being 100% man, 100% God. And that we find that as he is driving them out, what he is saying in his actions and later on in his words is that this system, the system of the way that people feel like they, can, they need to get to God is not how we are to reach to God. We look into the Old Testament as well, and we have the prophets um, who are speaking and they say, well, God doesn't desire these sacrifices. They do not make him happy. And we find that Jesus embodies that. He drives them out and he says, "You have this is a house of prayer for all nations according to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is a very inclusive gospel. And it says that this is a house of prayer for all nations. All of a sudden, what Jesus is saying is that the Yahweh is not only the God of the Israelites, that Yahweh now is the God of all creation. He's always been the God of all creation. And now he is opening the arms and saying, this is the inclusivity of who I am. And God has tried to do this over and over throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, where he tells Abraham that he will make him a blessing to all nations. We have that emphasis going all the way back to Abraham that God is an inclusive God, not an exclusive God. 
I feel, unfortunately, that we read through the Old Testament and we get the narrative of the nation of Israel and we kind of think that Yahweh is the God of Israel only. Where in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we find that, God, that Yahweh is the God of all creation and that God uses the nation of Israel to proclaim His glory to all people and all nations so that they may be a blessing to all people. And that in turn, they didn't turn into that. And we find that from what he asks Abraham to be a blessing to all nations, he, the, the people have turned into oppressing each other and saying that, there is no, that to access God, one must pay. And Jesus throws all of that out and says, no, this is a house for all people. And then on Thursday, Tuesday, we have the religious leaders who are questioning Jesus' authority. Wednesday is a preparation of the Passover. And we enter into Monday, Thursday. And the word Monday comes from the French Latin um, word like memorandum, which really means this idea of a commandment. I know we tend to focus on the Last Supper um, when we have our Monday, Thursday services, specifically when we do our seders, and it's awesome when we are able to do our seder meals. Um, but what I really want to focus on is the last commandment that Jesus gives his disciples because it sums everything up that Jesus has been teaching them since day one. But for us, to, before we get to that point, before we get to the point of what the great commandment is that Jesus gives, that final like hurrah and push that he gives them, we have to find that Jesus flips this idea of masterhood or of who's in charge and what somebody who is in charge does completely on its head. So Jesus is there and he's enjoying the, fist, uh, the Passover festival of his disciples. They have the full spread probably. They've got some some lamb bones, they got some lamb, they've got all the bitter herbs, and they're going through and discussing this the joy that the Passover represents for them. Because in their culture, the Passover represents God freeing them and liberating them from slavery in Egypt. And each year they go back and they remember that where they were and now where God has brought them to. And inside of the context of where they are at that moment in time, they're also under the oppression. So it has a double meaning to the Jewish people during this time. There's this reminder that, G, that God, Yahweh, brought them out of Egypt. And then there's that bitter memory, that bitter reality that is still in oppression by the Roman government. And they're looking for that Passover again, that freedom. And they've been looking all over for that. And you find the zealots have been trying to do it in a violent way. You find some of the Sadducees and Pharisees and, and high priests have been in cahoots with the Roman government to try and get chummy with them so they can have all the freedoms that they desire. And we find that um, on Palm Sunday that when they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, as Jesus is coming down the donkey, I'm saying that he is the son of David. That is saying he is the king. They're looking at him to free them from their oppression, much like Moses, through the power of God, led them out of um of Egypt. But Jesus flips it now. And he, and he states, it states in John chapter 13 that Jesus loved his disciples. So as they're having the meal, he gets up and he begins to wash their feet. Now this is a powerful symbol because the lowest servant in the household was the one who would wash a visitor's feet. You would find that it would be the slave or the lowest person in the house 
who when everybody, when people came to visit, you had a basin in the house that people would come and have their feet washed before they entered the house. You have to think this is a time of, um, of time where they're wearing sandals and it's dusty and their feet are getting nasty and they would wash their feet before they entered into the abode, into somebody, somebody's house. So Jesus, Jesus steps away from the meal and prepares to wash his disciples' feet. The master becomes the servant. And we find that John kind of has this conflict saying, well, no, don't, don't wash my feet. You're, you're, you're the teacher. Why are you washing my feet? Um, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, you, you don't quite understand what's going on, but allow me. Let me wash your feet. Let me take the form of a humble servant and serve you. And we as Christians need to, first of all, emulate that. But the statement that sticks out so much to me, because we look at the, we look at the cross, and when we look at the cross, we say this is where God cleanses humanity. But Jesus makes an interesting statement in John chapter 13, because the apostle asked, the, the um, disciple John asked him, well, wash my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, you are already clean. And somebody who is already clean only needs to wash their feet because they're getting dirtied by the world. Dirty by what's outside of the house. And it's giving this picture that's painted that if you look at the parables of Christ about who's brought into the party, who is brought into the kingdom, are all those who are outsiders, those who, who culture, and, culture and religion would have called dirty, and what Jesus is saying to John here is, you are already made clean. All you need to do is wash your feet. We don't need to be cleansed over and over and over again. We just need to clean our feet a little bit before we enter into the kingdom. And that is the, 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 the unique thing about the John chapter 13 passage, is that we always tend to look at the cross the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as that is what is forgive. That's how God forgives. That is how God cleanses. But we find woven into the narrative, through from Genesis to where we are now, that God forgives over and over again. That God cleanses and makes people clean outside and apart from the shed blood of Christ. That John the disciple is clean in the eyes of God already, and just needs to have his feet slightly washed. So Jesus says to John, he says. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet also. And the, the, the thing, the beautiful part of that is that we have to have this, un, we need to have this understanding that, that humanity is clean before God. That each of us is already clean before God. And, and the Apostle Paul writes that we are to confess our sins one to another and be um, fully cleansed and, and, and be righteous. And that is the idea of washing one's feet, that we are already welcome into the kingdom of God, that we are cleansed and that we wear the white robes and that God welcomes us into the kingdom and that our job inside the kingdom is to be humble and to confess our sins one to another so that we are fully ready to embrace the life that is walking in the kingdom of God. And then we have, so we have Jesus turn the power structure. Our role as Christians, our role in Christians is to serve one another and to humbly 
forgive each other. The idea of the washing of the feet is that we are to forgive each other when we when when people sin or do wrong against us. That we are to forgive and that we in turn are to accept are to be forgiven by others. And it it's a hard thing to, to concept to to grasp sometimes this idea that we are to forgive, but we are also to receive forgiveness as well. So then we get to this interesting thing, and if you want to know more about this idea of devil and Satan in the scriptures, I'm Dan Marcellis and I have done a couple podcasts on our Beer and Bible podcasts about um, the devil and Satan, and we, we still have one more. We've been putting it off for about six months, but we'll get together at some point and finish recording that because the narrative um, buildup to who Satan is, is is extremely interesting. But John chapter 13 um, he uses some verbiage that gets kind of a, that people rub people a little bit the wrong way, where it says that the devil enters or Satan enters into John and John leaves. I'm sorry, and Judas and Judas leaves, but Judas leaves and betrays Jesus. Um, the 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 thing that uh, that really strikes a chord to me, I mention this quite often as we do communion at, at the Congregational Church here in Belding, is that Jesus still washes Judas's feet. Like Jesus doesn't wait for Judas to leave before he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus, fully knowing that Judas is going to betray him, washes his feet. Now Jesus does make the mention that not all of you are clean and that the one who will betray me is not clean, which is not in reference to saying that, that Judas is going to go to hell or anything like that. It's a reference that Judas is not walking in the ways of the kingdom of God. That, that Judas hasn't embraced this movement that, is, that, that Jesus is leading. That he is not um, being cleansed in, in the fact that he is not walking righteously in the kingdom of God. But Ju Jesus still washes Judas's feet. And I think one of the things that I need to pull from that the most is the fact that, you know what, we're not called to judge those who we forgive. We're not called to judge those whose feet we wash. We're, we're just called to wash people's feet. We're called just, just to forgive them, to, to let them know that the kingdom is there, that God is there for them. God is there with open arms. And it's not for us to say, you know what, you're in and you're out. Because that's what Jesus kind of gets rid of at the temple when he when he says that this is a house of prayer for all nations, all people. So we get to the part of Monday, Thursday that is of, I think, the utmost importance. We all know the narrative of the Passover. The majority of us know the stories from Exodus. We know, because if you've done communion in church, the, the blood and the, the body is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. But Monday, Thursday is, the, is this idea of this new commandment. And it's, it's an interesting commandment. Because it is a commandment that is so simple. The commandment that Jesus gives his disciples after Judas leaves, he says this, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I know it's corny, and I know it's cliche, and I know everybody likes to argue theology, or I have friends who like to argue theology and, and all this, but do you know what? When we can sum it up and love one another as Jesus has loved, it simplifies everything. Gone are, the t are, are this idea of who do we love and how do we love them. Gone is this idea of, um, who is worthy of our love. No, Jesus says, 
love one another. And he doesn't just say then love one another. He tells us how to love one another. As I have loved you. How had Jesus loved his disciples? He served his disciples. He was their servant. He loved them enough that he, that he washed their feet. And that is how we must love one another. In a servant way. Looking at the needs and interests of other people. And fulfilling them. Um, Jesus' command is that you are to love and serve each other. Theologically, we could debate everything else under the sun, and I would be happy to do that someday when the horse's mouth reopens for business. But one thing that I will stand firm on, and that I think is one of the unshakable tenets of our faith, is love. Love that is personified in the person and actions and words of Jesus Christ. Love in the agape way. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love in that brotherly phileo way. That we are called to love and we can argue everything else. But if you, if our actions and if our theology do not reflect the love of Christ. I question it. And I've had to do that myself is go through my theology and go through the way that I read scripture and go through the way that I interact with the world and I have to ask myself the serious question of when I think this way, when I believe this way, am I loving people as Christ loved them? And if the answer is no, then I'm in the wrong. And I know that there are pastors and theologians who would who disagree with it that I think that I might be oversimplifying it but argue with the words of Christ don't argue with me love one another it's a new commandment I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another and everybody will know that you are my disciples because you love not because of who you hate not because of where you protest not because of any t-shirts you wear or what denomination you um, line up with or what version of the scriptures you read or how good your Greek and Hebrew is and how you can parse all the tenses and all that. They will know that you are my disciples by how you emulate my love. Love as I have loved. And I know I'm not always a big fan of bringing it back to COVID-19, but that's on my mind recently a lot especially with the um, governor extending it for us for up to um, the end of April and possibly further. Who knows what her plans are after, after that. But I want to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, because this has been on my mind over and over again. It says this, do nothing, at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, it says, having the same mind as Christ, being like Christ, be of one accord with one another, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, just as Jesus was humble, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And he goes on in Philippians chapter 2 to say that God did not consider equality, Jesus did not consider equality of God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself to be as a man. So, but in humility, count others more important than yourselves. Look not, um, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And in this time of COVID-19, stay home, stay safe, uh, one of the things that I have really been hearing over and over again is this, this idea that staying socially distant, 
uh, or physically distant, I prefer that one, physically distancing ourselves from others is not easy, but is placing the interests of the collective before the interests of ourselves. Because if we were all brutally honest, we all want to be that selfish person who's going to run outside and do whatever we want to do, go shopping where we want to go shopping, go out and interact and do everything. And it hurts sometimes not being able to do those things. I think of um, my, my um, Emmett and Grayson and Annie and I mean, he, he hasn't been able to, uh, Grayson hasn't really been able to meet people or like his grandparents are missing out on him growing up. He's turned two months yesterday and you as a church body haven't seen Grayson at all except through pictures. And there's like the selfish part of me wants to go and take him and introduce him to all of you and let you hold him and do all this. But you know what? I need to put the interests of others before what I think I want to do. And putting the interests of others first means that we are staying physically distant from each other for this time. It's putting the interests of the collective before the interests of our own self. And in doing that, we're also putting our own interests um, in play here as well, because it is an interest of all people to stay socially and uh, to stay um, physically distant and to stay home and to be able to do everything that we can do so that we can once again meet and worship or go for walks or get meals together. So one of the things I wanna kind of drive home this evening is as hard as it is to do what we are doing as a state and as a church and as a community, it is putting the other interests of other peoples ahead of ours. And that is the essence of loving each other the way that Christ loved others because christ put the interest of humanity before his own interests and we find that because he chooses the cross we find in the garden of gethsemane though his prayer is father if there's any other way let's let's not do it like this take this cup from me if there's any other way but not my will be done but your will be done and that's a dangerous thing to pray not my will god but your will and Jesus prays that prayer and he walks the walk of the passion to the cross because he puts the interests of humanity before his own physical interests in that time. So how will we be known as someone as a, follow, as, as a follower of Christ? By our love. The old hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love. I won't sing for you. It's okay. But we are called to love. And as simple as it sounds, love as Jesus loved. Love the woman at the well. Love the woman who has, who has that sordid past. Jesus loved her. Jesus does goes, even goes one step further and says, one day that you and I will, will worship in spirit and truth. And then he says, you know what? That day is today. He tells the woman at the well that he and the woman at the well, who is at the lowest run of society in Jesus' time, that ye, that the two of them will worship together and they'll worship together in spirit and truth and that day can start now. Jesus loves the woman that is caught in adultery. He doesn't only love her, he gets in between her and physical violence and says, all right, the first of you with no sin cast the first stone. And then, then he looks at her and accepts her and says, you know what, go and sin no more. 
He doesn't wait for her to have this dramatic life change before he loves her. He loves her and then says, because of my love, go and sin no more. Sometimes I think we get it backwards. We want people to change to show that they love Jesus and so, or to show that Jesus loves them. But in essence, Jesus loves them where they're at. And over time, people do change. So at this time, if you are able and you were, you were listening ahead of time, um, if you could get some grape juice and cracker or some bread, whatever you have at the home for liquid, um, that we, we want to enter into a time of communion together. Um, this is going to be one of those firsts for me, communion via Facebook Live. And communion is that reminder of everything that is happening this week. Because Paul writes um, in the context of us talking about communion, that we are to do this in remembrance of him. And sometimes I focus a little bit too much when I think of that on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. But we do these things in remembrance of his whole life, how he lived, who he loved, how he loved, how he served, and how that ultimately led to the cross and the resurrection three days later. So I don't want us to look forward right now and do this in remembrance of the death, burial, and resurrection. I want us to partake in communion this evening together in remembrance of who Jesus is, how he loved, who he loved, and in turn may our lives reflect his love. So the scriptures say on the night that he was betrayed, after he gave thanks, he took bread and broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have your cracker or bread with you, let us take it and partake together. This is his body which was broken for you. Let us do this in remembrance of him. On that same night, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake in this symbol that symbolizes the blood of Christ. This is his blood which was shed for you. Let us do this in remembrance of him. So as we look at Monday, Thursday, and we are reminded of the command that Jesus gives, love one another, as I have loved you, that self-sacrificial, humble love. So we must also love as Jesus loves. And that's how people we know that we are followers of Christ. And as we walk through Good Friday tomorrow evening, we are reminded of those who did leave Jesus' side. We are reminded of the pain and suffering, but the part that we want to bring it back to over and over again tomorrow is who endured the suffering, why God 
through Christ endured that suffering? And what does God do through Christ in Christ's suffering? Let's pray this evening. Father, as we come to a conclusion of our Facebook Live Monday, Thursday service, Lord, we're thankful for those who are able to join and those who will be listening later, Lord. Father, we ask that as we prepare our hearts and minds for our Good Friday, our Holy Saturday, and ultimately, Lord, for Easter Sunday, may we not rush to the end, but may we spend a moment in each of those days to reflect on the passion of Christ. This evening, Lord, may we reflect on the commandment that you not only gave your disciples, but you gave us, that we are to love one another as you have loved us. And Father, during this time of stay home, stay safe, and physical distancing from each other, may we be able to reflect on how we are truly to love people in this moment. May we not only look forward to how we express love to people later, but may we meditate this evening on how we are to love as you have loved in this moment. And Father, may we be in this moment each day reflecting on Christ. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So if you are able to next uh, on Sunday, um, please find some um, something to drink and something for our um, communion. We'll have communion on Sunday together as well. But again, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for all of those who helped with our meal today. Again, we served 150 meals, and it was a, a great time of, of all that. Again, that was um, the Wilkers helped with that. Emily Edwards helped. Danny Patrick and Jody and McKenna Church, they helped. And um, we delivered 46, and then we served just over 100 other ones. Um, we're going to continue to do that uh, until our governor decides that She's going to lift the, um, the, her executive order. I think it is something that we can do as a church to express the love of God to our community. I want to thank those of you who have helped in multiple different ways. We had some amazing desserts made today as well. I have to say that I did um, sample some of them before we handed them out. Um, I want to thank those people who have been able to help us financially continue to do this. We've been able to roughly do these meals for about $100 and $120 to serve this number of people. And um, I want to thank you, and may God bless you, and may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you, and may he give you peace this evening. Amen.